We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to our message from our May breakfast with Pastor Stephen Posey. Let's tune in and listen to his message to the Brotherhood. Well, good morning. How are you guys this morning? Such a pleasure to be with you. So much fun to see so many familiar faces and uh, maybe even more fun to see so many unfamiliar faces. Man, this thing has grown. I think the first time Johnny invited me to be a part of this, um, there were maybe 40 guys in a room tucked away somewhere in another part of the campus. And uh, just to see what God has done in this space as uh, so many people have been faithful um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, there's a whole lot of work that happens to make an event like this go on every Friday, and it does not necessarily happen with the staff of the church. In fact, most of it, the overwhelming majority, if not all of it, happens through acts of service, generous service, volunteers, people who serve on teams to get breakfast ready, to greet you, to make sure you got your tables, to get it all set up. Would you help me thank everybody who puts this on every month. It's a labor of love. Um, I do bring greetings to you from my home church, my new home church, Reality Santa Barbara. Uh, It is good to be back home here. This will always be my home, Uh, but Reality Santa Barbara is a church revitalization project. I had just reached a point in my career where it was, I was just like, it was the, maybe the apex, the most fun I was having in ministry was here at Church on the Move, even through 2020 and 2021, doing life, doing ministry with people that I love dearly, deeply, and uh, just had uh, an embarrassment of riches and friends. Mountain Men was going the way that it was, and, uh, and, and to my surprise, God started tugging on my heart. Uh, And the way the Holy Spirit typically leads is through gentle, general leadings. In fact, he doesn't give you an answer. He usually gives you you a question. You've got lots of questions for him, but he typically starts with giving you a question. And and that question, when you're you're meant to bring that out in front of community, in front of wise counsel, and discern what is God actually trying to say. And through a season of discernment, God led us to this church revitalization project. Uh, The church had lost 90% of its people, maybe 200% of its money. Uh, and on paper, it looked like career suicide. Don't ever take a job like this in ministry. Transitioning any church is one of the hardest jobs ever. Transitioning a church on descent in the most post-Christian, one of the most post-Christian cities in America, um, in one of the most Christ- post-Christian places, regions in California. As Lee mentioned, six to one, people are waving at me on their way out of California as God had called me and my family in. And Lee asked me to give a really brief update, and the brief update is this. Our church is growing. Our church is, our family is thriving. Uh, It is the hardest thing we've ever done and maybe the most fulfilling. And so uh, your prayers are appreciated when you think of us. We we are suffering for Jesus' sake in one of the most beautiful places, Uh, but but, uh, it's a pleasure to be back home. I want to spend just a few minutes talking to you about something you might be inoculated to. You, you might be so familiar with that you might have forgotten it. 
Um, and so before we jump into it, I, I want to invite you to pray with me. Would you pray? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord Jesus, uh, these next few moments are yours. We've got plans uh, today. We've got plans for this weekend. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on a lot of our minds and hearts today. Some of us came in with a heavy heart. Some of us came in excited about what God is doing. But right now, those important thoughts, though they are important, we just push pause on them. And we just surrender these next few moments to you. Holy Spirit, your word is God-breathed, and it is God-breathing. Breathe in and among us today. Do what only you can do. Take the, the natural limitations of our time, of my words, of our understanding, and do the supernatural work to awaken hearts to you, to your reality, to your presence, to your nearness, to your desire for the works that you've prepared for the men in this room ahead of time from the foundations of the world. These hidden things, these secret things that are on offer to each of us, show them to us over these next few moments. Send us on the next step of our journey through this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my friend was laying on a cold emergency room bed, stuff attached to his body, tears running down his cheeks. And he asked me a question I was not expecting him to ask. He said, would you hold my hand? Maybe he was afraid of death. He was definitely afraid of dying alone. We had been through a lot together, this friend of mine. After having left his, the home of his abusive so-called dad at the age of 17, he found his way to life in Tulsa, and that's where we met. But over the next couple of decades, his life could be described through one word, hell on earth. That's three words, hell. two miserable, heartbreaking, failed marriages, and two decades battle with addiction to alcohol. And for the first time, he was seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. For the first time, he was stepping out of that life and maybe having friendly thoughts toward the God he was so angry at. And now, the thing that he feared greatly and had never told me, had come upon him. He was gen genetically predisposed to have a significant heart attack before the age of 40. That was this day. As a third-generation pastor, I'd been in hospital rooms and uh, in difficult uh, situations with people since I was a little boy. But something was different about this space. I knew he felt utterly powerless. And because of a certain conversation we had had just 15, 20 minutes before, I felt cut off from my greatest power source. I wanted to pray. I just didn't think he'd let me. 
some 30 years before, I was in a hospital room with my dad who was with another friend who had had cancer. My dad had been fasting and praying for 40 days for this friend, but this friend was so angry at God that he cussed my dad out every time he walked in the hospital room, spat in his face, and would not let him pray. He died. My friend had been so angry with God, I wasn't sure if he was going to let me pray. And the conversation we had had just a few minutes before indicated as much. You see, that morning I had taken him on his very first mountain men training hike. It was before the kickoff meeting. I just wanted to give him a little taste of what this might be like and have a little Jesus conversation with him. We went to this uh, steep incline that several of us affectionately referred to as Truth Hill. And though he had left the faith of his childhood, maybe understandably because uh, the, the, the so-called dad was also a so-called pastor, the abusive monster was uh, outwardly trying to tell people about Jesus. No wonder he was internally conflicted about this God but he was still friendly to those of us who had not left our childhood faith. He still stayed close. And I had decided to have a Jesus conversation with him on that training hike. And on the way up one lap, he said, I just don't think you have to believe in Jesus to be a Christian. It broke my heart. And then on the lap down, it literally crushed his. He denied Jesus on the way up the hill and had a heart attack on the way down. Best I could, I carried him to the truck. We happened to be right across the street from Hillcrest. Got him in the emergency room. And as I held his hand, I didn't know what to say, so I just said, hey, is there anything I can do for you? And with a sense of desperation in his eyes and a tremble in his voice, he looked up and simply whispered, pray, man. And so I prayed. The heart attack that had killed his cousins and uncles and other family members at a way too young age did not kill my friend. God answered his prayer and mine, or at least he answered that prayer. There are about a half dozen other prayers that I've still been praying for my friend. I had breakfast with him yesterday on the National Day of Prayer and tried to remind him of a few of these things. I'm still praying for him. There's still unanswered prayer. Any of you have prayed, or any of you who have friends who pray, have this experience. You know and you believe God can and does answer prayer. And at the same time, you have questions about the kinds of prayer God does seem to answer and the kinds of prayer God seems not to answer. Why do we have to pray at all? What do we do with prayer? 
So I've come a long ways. I've come from Santa Barbara, California this morning to do my very best to make a bold appeal to you, the men of the only city I know in the world that has a 60-foot bronze statue to remind you to pray. to consider activating the inestimably valuable, ridiculously practical gift on offer to each of you at whatever stage of life you're in, at whatever season you're facing, in whatever relationship status you have, in whatever vocation you have, at any moment in your day, you can lift your voice and pray. Would you pray, man? Yes, we men need to pray. Your wife needs to hear you pray. Over the course of our work with men and mountain men, it's been somewhat surprising to us and and maybe a little bit heartbreaking, the number of men that don't pray in their home. The number of men who, and I don't say this in a shameful way, Your family does not know you as a praying man. Your wife needs to hear you pray. She doesn't need to be the only one coaxing us to pray. Your children need to hear you pray. Your grandchildren need to hear you pray. You need to hear yourself pray. But my hope for you today is that you get a picture of prayer that is so much more, so much bigger than your duty as a man to pray. Prayer is not just your duty. Prayer is a delight if you know the God to whom you're praying. Guilt is not what you should feel if you don't pray. FOMO is what you should feel if you don't pray. In our few brief moments together, I hope to show you Uh, the incredible, surprising treasures on offer in a life of ordinary prayer from ordinary people just like you and me. I hope you see in any given moment you can pray, man. And I'm a Bible teacher, and so uh, I'm going to take you on a journey through Scripture, an easy story to follow. It's one of my favorite characters. You're very familiar with this character. It's in my favorite book of the Bible. If you have a Bible app on your phone, I just invite you to get it out and open it to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, John 13. John is one of the four documentaries of the life of Jesus. It, it, uh, gospels or, or, or these, uh, this, this way of capturing these gospels was the, the technology of the day to capture a documentary. John has an angle in mind to, to share who Jesus is. And so um, I, don't, I don't know if we've got the verses to follow along on the screen, but they're easy to listen to. John 13, I'm going to begin with verse 21. And as we look at this, these verses and these little vignettes together, I just want you to consider what does a life of ordinary prayer look like? Is it different than you thought it was? Do only holy men pray? Do only uh, spiritual grandmas pray? Or can an everyday man, a blue-collar man, a man who's close to Jesus, a man who's far from Jesus pray? And what does a life of prayer actually look like? John 13, verse 21 says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. This is a dinner with a bunch of men 
and maybe some ladies too around, Jesus is troubled in spirit. Jesus has just come out as the king of Israel. He's just had this triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and he's talking to his brothers. He's talking to these men he's spent an inordinate amount of time with as, as they've tried to be covered in the dust of their teacher, of their rabbi. And Jesus is troubled in his spirit, and it says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Prayer begins with a moment of uncertainty. If you face uncertainty at any moment in your day, at any moment in your life, it's a prompting to pray. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus on, of whom he was speaking. So the disciple leaning back against Jesus said, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas and the son of Simon Iscariot. Simon Peter, verse 36, said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have declined me, denied me three times. In John 14, 1, Jesus immediately says these famous words, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Peter's one of the most relatable characters in the Bible. He's just a regular dude. What you see is what you get with Peter. He's impulsive. He's bold. He's unafraid to say what's on his mind. He's not afraid to try things. He often gets things wrong, but he's so likable because he, does, he doesn't seem to care. He just gets up and keeps going. He and his friends have left everything they've known, the life that they've known, to follow Jesus, to be with him, to become like him, and to eventually maybe do the kinds of things Jesus did, to do Jesus-y things. And now Jesus breaks the news to them that one of them is going to betray them. There's an insider. Maybe it's from the Roman world. Maybe it's from the Pharisees. Maybe it's the tax collector. Yeah, it's got to be the tax collector. But Peter asks this question. Peter notices the uncertainty in the room, and he notices the uncertainty in his own heart. And he takes that uncertainty, and he confesses it before Jesus. How does he do it? Well, he does it through a buddy. Confession is not just about sin management. It's not just about saying what you're guilty of. Confession is taking what's in your heart out of your mouth before your friends and before God. That's what confession is. What is in your heart? What are you going through? What uncertainty you're facing? You know, that's a kind of prayer. Taking what's in your heart out of your mouth into the world, putting it out into the world. So taking the chaos that's inside you, creating form, and then filling it. That's a pretty Holy Spirit thing. It's speaking to the chaos that's in your heart. It's speaking out of your mouth and 
speaking that uncertainty. Peter does this. This is the first thing Peter does. He wonders, though, not just is it one of these guys. He's deeply troubled, too, because he wonders, is it me? Peter immediately turns introspective. He wonders, am I going to be the one to betray him? But notice he doesn't hide in his insecurity. He doesn't hide behind every other, everybody else's insecurities. He speaks up. One of the outsiders is going to turn their back. Maybe, but maybe it's me. So he's not next to Jesus, but John is. And so, John, so Peter does the best he can. He wants to be discreet. And so he asks John to ask Jesus. Do you know when you first begin to pray, it's okay to use other people's words? It's okay to pray your grandma's prayers. It's okay to pray the way you hear your pastors pray, your friends pray. It's okay. When you're, when you're around the people who pray and you hear them pray, it's okay to imitate them at first. In fact, what's better, uh, uh, the disciples asked Jesus, hey, how do you do that? Jesus gave them the most famous prayer that we pray before, or you football players pray before every game, the Lord's Prayer. You know it mostly by heart. If you don't, it's easy to pray. Don't tell anybody that you don't know it. Just Google it, pull it up, memorize it. It's easy to memorize. You can pray other people's prayers. That's the best place to start. And by the way, the Bible is more honest about prayer than you and I are, than, than, than pastors usually are. The Bible has this whole book that's honest about prayer. It's called the Psalms. It's right in the middle. If you open your Bible like about to the middle, you'll find the Psalms. And right there are these amazing, honest prayers. You can pray other people's words first. My buddy prayed that day when he said, pray, man. He wasn't praying to God, but he was asking me to pray. You start with prayer through other people's words, and that's a great place to start. Start with the Lord's Prayer. Start with the Psalms. And Peter, through his buddy John, prays a prayer. Lord, who is it? It seems tense. Somebody's going to betray me. It seems like maybe Jesus wants to keep this to himself, but Peter doesn't care. He wants it to be public. He's bold enough to ask the question everyone wants to know the answer to, but everyone is afraid to ask. So he speaks up. And notice in verse 26, it says, Jesus answered. Then, emboldened by the answer, Peter starts talking to Jesus directly. He says, where are you going to go, Jesus? He asked for further clarification. What's actually happening? The gentle, general leading of the Holy Spirit through the uncertainty that you're going to face in life leads to taking a step of faith, and the first step is to speak up. And when you speak up, when you take what's in your heart out before God, you will get more clarity. And what do you do next? You ask for more clarity. That's what Peter does. And twice he asks for more clarity, and twice Jesus answers. And guess what? Jesus is unafraid of hurting Peter's feelings. He was unafraid of, of telling him the truth, faithful of the wounds of a friend. Reality is that thing you bump into when you find out you've been wrong. Reality is that thing you bump into when you find out your roadmap to life is off and you recalibrate when you bump in, or you should recalibrate when you bump into that reality. And so Peter, Jesus is not telling that to Peter to shame him. If Jesus tells you a truth about your reality, he's not telling you to shame you or to bring guilt on you. What's he trying to do? He's trying to show you a path to restoration. 
He's trying to show you a way out of the darkness, a way out of the habit, a way out of the addiction, a, a, a way out of the wrong way of thinking. He's trying to show you a way out, but you have to speak up first. And notice there's nothing spiritual about Peter's questions to God. He's taking his confusion, his hopes, his dreams all wrapped up and asking ordinary, using ordinary words. He just starts talking to God in Jesus. You know what Jesus had already told Peter? In John chapter 16, verse 24, he said, hey, guess what? Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. This is also in Genesis chapter 3. God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. They hear the voice of God in the cool of the day. Tyler Staten says prayer is simply a search for help outside of yourself. Eugene Peterson says our prayers, whether clumsy or skilled, heretical or orthodox, verbatim from Scripture, or ad-lib from a sinking ship, get us no merit with God. Good or God hears anything we whisper or shout or sing. Pray, man. Right words and correct forms are not a prerequisite to a heavenly audience. Pete Gregg says the best advice on prayer, keep it simple, keep it real, but keep it up. Dallas Willard says God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when he is only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. So the first thing to do is to speak up. What's going on in your life that you're uncertain about? What's going on in your life that you're confused or frustrated about? What do you have your hopes in that, that's causing you anxiety if it doesn't happen that way? Speak up. Use other people's prayers, use prayers of Psalms, use the Lord's Prayer, but go to God in prayer. Take what's in your heart before God. John 18, Judas says, verse 3 says, so Judas had procured a band of soldiers, and some officers and chief priests and Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing that all that would happen to him, came forward and said, whom seek you? Then he answered, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus said, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them, and, and when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut his ear right off. And Jesus doesn't scold him. He says, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup in my father's name? Then in verse 25, Simon Peter was standing, warming himself. Said, So they said, are you not one of the disciples? Who are you? He denied it and said, no, I'm not. One of, the, uh, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it again, and at once the rooster crowed. We look down on Peter for these two acts. One was white knuckle, I'm going to take good and bad into my own hands, I'm going to take justice in my own hands. And the other was denying Jesus. And, the, and, and Scripture, again, is more honest about humanity than a lot of us are. What is Peter doing? Peter is praying. How is Peter praying? Peter is doing the next right thing he knows to do. 
he's doing the best he knows to do. He's taking the best he knows of his life experience, of his family of origin, of where he lives, of of his limited experience, of his skills. He's taking it, and he's trying to be faithful. When he said, hey, Jesus, I will die for you, that's what he meant. He meant it. When he takes out his knife, he's taking an army, thinking they're going to kill him, but at least he's going to stand with Jesus. He's trying to be faithful. Then he finds finds himself in in a situation where he's overwhelmed, where he is outmatched. A lot of times we look down on people who are are, are, uh, given to addiction or habits of sin, and we say, why don't they just dot, dot, dot? At the same time, think about this. How many times have you been at Thanksgiving, walking into the thanks, wherever Thanksgiving dinner has happened, and you said to yourself and to your spouse, I'm not overeating this time. Well, why don't you just not overeat? Well, there's something about the environment that overpowers your decision. Your deepest desire is not your strongest desire, but your strongest desire sometimes wins. That's what happens to Peter. He's trying to do the right thing, but faithfulness is a kind of prayer. Every time you step into the darkness, every time you think about what you should do and do the right thing, in spite of what everyone else is doing, it is a kind of prayer. In the with God life, every act of good, every act of sacrifice, every act of faithfulness is a kind of prayer inviting heaven down into earth. You know, all of God's acts of war are acts of goodness. All of God, God doesn't use the same weapons that our enemies use. His acts of war, acts of goodness. So the second thing is do the next right thing. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your mind. You know how happy Jesus was when he saw Peter? Peter had tried to be faithful and failed. But do you know also how happy Peter was when he saw Jesus? Watch what happens with Peter's imperfect prayers. John 21, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. So after the resurrection, after crucifixion, resurrection, Jesus reveals himself again. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, hey boys, I'm going fishing. Another act of faithfulness. Why is he there? Because Jesus said, meet him there. So we're going to go fishing. And they said, all right, we'll go with you. When they went out into the boat that night, they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples didn't know it was him. Then verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he didn't hide in his sin. He didn't hide in his shame. He did not stiff-arm God because of the offense of what had happened. He didn't blame Israel. He didn't blame the powers that be. He didn't blame his leaders, didn't blame his mom, didn't blame his wife. What did he do? He stripped off his clothes and jumped into the sea, and he came to Jesus. Now, the other disciples came dragging the net. And when they had got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. 
When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What's the deal with this charcoal fire? Well, the charcoal fire, the smell, the, 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 the feel of that charcoal fire would have immediately brought Peter back to a kind of trauma in which he had denied the God he loved. And here's Jesus bringing restoration in a moment of prayer. Jesus had told him it was going to happen. The, in, in trauma, there are often uh, smells and sensory things that, that attach to a memory. And Jesus is going into that space boldly, intimately, and inviting Peter to heal. And when he invites him to heal, he's not just inviting him to heal, to leave him there. Jesus does what Jesus does. Jesus takes that uncertainty and he connects it to the calling that Peter has known he's had since he was a little boy. And through that moment of prayer, through that moment of staying close to Jesus, Jesus is able to heal Peter of his wounds and at the very same time focus Peter on his purpose. At the very same time, he, he, he restores Peter from the, the worst day of his life and points him to the best days of his life. A praying man, an ordinary praying man, goes through this process of speaking up when he feels uncertainty and being faithful day to day uh, before God and then staying close to Jesus when it feels like he should avoid Jesus. And when you stay close to Jesus, James 4 says, draw near to God and he'll come near to you. Something awakened in Peter. I wish I had time. Go read it yourselves. What happened through Peter in the book of Acts? But I want to give you one little picture. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were going up to the temple on the hour of prayer. Peter kept praying. Peter prayed reflexively three times a day. Peter prayed spontaneously. He prayed other people's prayers. He prayed prayers led by the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, a man lame from birth was being carried in whom they laid at the uh, gate of the temple. It's called beautiful. Asking for alms. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him. He looked at him, and John, and, and John said, look at us. And the man fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he walked. Peter's life was defined by staying close to Jesus. What happened in that moment, in the moment of his greatest pain, taking it to Jesus, in the moment of uncertainty, taking it to Jesus, a man of prayer becomes a man of God. Scripture says, in a master's house are many vessels, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Therefore, whoever cleanses himself from what is dishonorable makes himself fit for the master's use. When you feel that uncertainty, whether it's from your friends, from your spouse, from your kids, or within your own heart, we speak up, we pray, 
I believe there's so many things God wants to show you in your relationships, in your job, in your vocation, in your purpose. So many wounds he wants to heal you from if you will simply stay close and then look expectantly to see what God will do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for our time together. I pray that uh, these words would uh, continue in our hearts and minds. These words are your words. And I pray that we would be encouraged Uh, encouraged to continue to bring your kingdom to come here on this earth through the ordinary means of prayer. Thank you that we can look to you and expect you to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Such a pleasure to be with you guys. God bless you.